0: So we've got three passages. The first one's going to come from Romans chapter 1, and we're going to start at verse 16. Romans 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it, as it is written, For although they knew God, they did not honour him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonouring of their bodies among themselves, faithless heartless ruthless though they know god's righteous degree, decree that those who practice such things deserve to die they not only do them but give appro- approval to those who practice them let's turn to romans chapter 3 we're going to read verses 10 to 12 romans 3 verse 10 as it is written none is righteous no not one No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Our last passage comes from Romans chapter 5. We're going to read from verse 6. Romans chapter 5, verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is the word of God to us today.
1: Heavenly Father, as we come before your word now, we pray that you'll give us insight insight into the way the world is, that it is a a weary world, a broken world, in sin and error, pining. Help us to see not just the world, but ourselves and the lives of the people around us, and to see that we too. Are weary and broken people. And so with that in mind, help us to be able to then see and rejoice in the gospel, uh, the joy and the hope, the salvation, the rest and the redemption that we can find in Jesus. For this we pray in His most precious name. Amen. Now if you are here last week, uh, you would have seen this image. Uh, we explored the idea that the creation that this world uh, is a, a wonderful world, uh, a truly wonderful and beautiful world. But as magnificent as this universe is and as wonderful as this world is in so many ways, isn't it also true that our world is a worn and weary place, a broken world uh, filled with death and destruction, a weary world that is filled with death and destruction and decay. Um, Disasters of nature, they strike us, don't they, with alarming regularity? Um, whether it's uh, the earth quaking beneath our feet or volcanoes erupting, which thankfully doesn't happen here in Australia. Uh, We have tsunamis that sweep across coastal areas. Uh, What we do have here in Brisbane, though, is floods, isn't it? The rains come down and the floodwaters rise up. Uh, We have hailstones and cyclones. And if you live in the Northern Hemisphere, then you've got typhoons and hurricanes, and they leave a trail of destruction in their wake. Uh, And then on the other extreme, we have droughts. Right? that kill off all the crops and, and leave us without water. We have pestilence and pandemics. And if it isn't natural disasters, then there are man-made disasters, aren't there? Wars and the threat of wars, dictatorships and corrupt governments, the ridiculous games and the power plays of politicians and authorities of every kind. We see the economy, unstable. They rise and they fall, pulled in different directions, by competing forces, by forces of greed, by matters of, uh, beyond the control of us common folk. There's also the struggle and the strain at every level of society. Right? The, 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 the endless striving search for significance and for security and for success. That feeling of futility and meaninglessness, always searching and never finding, always running but never arriving. And of course, perhaps the most wearing of them all is the troubles and the trials of our own personal lives, the messiness of our relationships, <clears throat> the hurts that we inflict on others and others inflict on us, unmet expectations, frustrations and fears. Why is family life so hard? Why is friendship so difficult? Why do we suck? at simply being good humans to one another. And if that's not hard enough, well, our personal life seems to include this tedious, never-ending cycle of work and study, of chores, of illnesses and injuries. Well, Merry Christmas to you all. <laughs> merry Christmas to you all. Last beginning, especially merry, though, are we? Especially not after all of that that I've just said. And perhaps you do walk into church this morning and you walk into your week tomorrow morning feeling that weariness of the world and that brokenness of your own life. We feel it, don't we? The world out there and the world inside, it can be such a mess. Why has it become like this? Right? Why has it become like this? you ever asked that question? Because it's the right question to ask. Because it certainly wasn't like this when the world was created by our good creator. The very beginning of the Bible tells us that God made this world good. Right? Very good. Go and read Genesis chapter 1. God made this world good. Very good. Now even if you don't believe in God or if you don't believe in the Bible, that's your basic assumption too, isn't it? That's your basic assumption. That the world is supposed to be a good place. That bad stuff like death and destruction and decay and brokenness of every kind that we feel is an unwelcome, unwelcome intrusion into this world. We feel deep down that this is not the way life is supposed to be. And then don't we long uh, for things to be better. Don't we pine for a better world? Now, I love the word pine. It's usually used of a heartbroken man, right, who's rejected by the girl, right? But pining is a beautiful word to describe the kind of longing that we all have. Pining means a longing that arises out of a broken heart. Pining means a longing that arises out of a broken heart. Don't we have a broken heart that we pine and long for it to be healed? Don't we live in a weary, broken world that we long for it to be restored? How do we get that better world? How do we get that healed life? Well, the world has tried to answer this question in many ways, but it keeps coming up short. We have not found the solution in the the principles and the ideals and the the, the ways of this world. How do we fix this brokenness? Well, to answer that question, we need to know why this world is the way it is. Why is it broken? Why is it weary? Well, the Bible has, I think, by far the best answer to this question, uh, the, the best explanation for why this world is the way it is. And the Bible's answer is sin, Sin is the reason why this world is the way it is, and sin's consequences, the result of sin. This is why the world is the way it is. And if this is the case, that sin is the cause of this world's brokenness and of our brokenness, then the solution to this world's problem is to deal with sin and to deal with sin's consequences. And that's exactly what Christmas is all about. This is exactly why Jesus, the Son of God, the Creator has come into creation. So let's look at what the Bible says about sin um, for the next sort of 10-15 minutes. Alright, this is the part where we do need to dig deep and allow God's word to expose something that is quite dark and bleak. Now to understand sin, we need to recap a little bit about what we covered last week. Uh, last week, uh, in our first sermon of the series, we saw that the creator came into creation two thousand years ago, right, to show us that we do indeed live in a created world, uh, created by a good creator. Uh, uh, John 1 was what we looked at. Uh, John 1 verse 1 to 4. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. So we human beings are created beings. But even more than that, we are created with a wonderful purpose, uh, to bear the image and likeness of our Creator God, uh, to to live in God's good world, and to look after God's good world in God's good ways. That's what we're created for. But crucial to to living uh, our life is to live with God as our God, right? It's crucial. It's not just about living. It's about living with God as our God, our Creator. Right, to, to remain connected with Him, to treat God as God, and to love Him and listen to Him. Right, getting the vertical right is how we get the horizontal right. right. Our vertical life with God, we get that right, and then the horizontal, uh, it, 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 it works. When life on earth then becomes uh, a place of joy and, and peace, where we're like with each other with the world will be a life of peace and joy and fullness and rest. That's how we're created, right? Vertical connections and everything on the horizontal works out. But obviously, we don't live in a world like that because sin has entered the world. Sin has entered the world. Now, we've got to make sure we understand sin properly, okay? And so let's look into our first of the Romans passages, Romans 3, and see what it says. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside. None is righteous, all are sinful. Why? Because no one understands, right? No one understands. No one truly wants to know God. There is no room for God in our thoughts. No one truly seeks for God. No one truly seeks for Him as the one who is of the greatest worth, as as our, our, our greatest treasure and the one that we pursue to love and to be devoted to. Instead, as we see from the very beginnings of Scripture, that from the very first human beings down through every generation, sinners hide away from God. Sinners run away from God. Everyone runs away from God. In rejection or in rebellion or in denial, Uh, to fulfill their desire, our desire to live our own way, to to be God of our own lives, to make the call. And so we see that sin is fundamentally relational between us and God. Sin is fundamentally relational, which is very different to what the world thinks, to what many people think. Most people think that sin is about morality, not relationship. It's about morality, doing right, and doing wrong. But it's not. Now, I want you all to consider with me uh, for a moment, okay? Uh, Think of a son and a daughter living at home, right? Think of a son and daughter living at home. Now, if you're a parent, that's pretty easy to imagine. But if you're not a parent, then you are a son and daughter and you were living at home once. So, think of it like that. The son in this home, well, when he walks past mom and dad, he simply ignores them, Right. And then you maybe think, oh, maybe he's because he's got his earbuds with A and C on, so he can't hear you. But then you go and check, no, right? There's nothing in their ear. They're just ignoring you, right? How rude! How rude! And then this fella simply refuses to do any of the chores around the house. You tell them to put away the clothes or to wash the dishes, nada, right? In fact, you do it all for them, and then you put it in a nice pile there, right, next to the laundry basket, and tell them to put it away, and they don't even bother doing that. Right? How rude, how irresponsible and lazy your kid is. And then the daughter, well, one day or many days, she just grabs your credit card out of your wallet and then goes to buy us whatever she wants. Right? Some snacks, buy some presents for herself, a couple pair of shoes. What a little thief, right? Your daughter is. Okay, sounds pretty familiar, right? I'm sure we've all done that as children, and I'm sure we've got children who do something like this. Now, on one level, on one level, these are just behavioral issues, aren't they? All right? What you might call sins in the general sense. As we look at Romans 1 later on, you'll see that one of the long list of sins is disobedience to parents. Right? Who knew that would make it into a list in the Bible? <laughs> right? It's a thing. But what if there's a deeper underlying reason to these behaviors? What's the reason for doing these sins? It's because the son and the daughter have absolutely no regard for their parents. What if their parents mean absolutely nothing to them? They don't see themselves as having to relate to or to listen or to obey. They have disowned their parents a long, long time ago. A long, long time ago, they have disowned their parents. Well, what now? Well, don't you think then the issue is much more serious than behavioral issues of Much greater concern and severity than the behavioral sins of the children is the relational sin of disowning their parents, of rejection, of a rebellion that isn't just a behavior, but right from their very core. Now, see, fundamentally, sin isn't wrongdoing. It is wrong being. It is deliberate and emphatic independence of God, a disowning. Of God in our lives. Now, other religions, right, they deal with sins, but the Bible alone deals with sin, right, the problem of our relationship with God. Now, it is sin, understood rightly, that allows us to understand the consequences that follow. Firstly, we see that sin leads to sins. But have a look at Romans 3 again, right? As it is written, none is righteous, not even one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. You see, the consequence of turning away from God is to become worthless, to become doers of evil and not doers of good. Now, to the modern ear, to our generation that's been raised on you know, positive uh, mental attitude and positive self-image, these words of God, they sound repulsive, don't they? How dare God call me worthless? These words are misguided. They are threatening to our psychology. These words cause emotional damage. <laughs> right? They're words of hate even, aren't they? Who dare say that I'm worthless? But before we shut our ears too tight, let me explain what worthless means. Now, I want you to think about a surgical knife. Pristinely crafted, perfectly clean, very expensive. Right? Very expensive. Now, imagine it being used right, to chop off prawn heads and to clean out the poop chute. Right? And then after that, you just toss it into the dishwasher. You never do that with good knives, right? by the way. Right, you always hand wash it. And then after that, you unceremoniously dump it into the cutlery drawer. We all have one, isn't it? That mess right, of every tong and spatula and every other utensil you can think of. It just gets thrown in there, banging it around every time you open the drawer and close it. The surgical knife right, being treated like this. Now, the surgical knife has become worthless, hasn't it? For surgery. Now, worse still imagine that this surgical knife is then being used violently in a slasher crime. Can you imagine that? Truly this knife that has been created specially and purposefully for surgery that brings healing and life has become utterly unfit for purpose. That's what worthless means, right? To become unfit for purpose. To sin is to turn away from God and therefore to turn away from our God-given, our God-created purpose. In this sense, and this is the, the most important sense really, we have become worthless. And having turned from God and our God-created purpose, we have become then doers of evil rather than doers of good. And we do do plenty of evil, don't we? Remember back to the introduction to this sermon, to this talk, look at the history of humanity, look at the global state of affairs, look at the society and the people around you, look at your own life. Just over the past few days and the past few weeks, we are doers of evil, not doers of good bringing death and destruction and disintegration of so many kinds into our world and into the lives of the people around us and into our own lives. Now, this doesn't mean, of course, that we don't do any good at all. That's not what it's saying. We have a capacity for good, even great good. But even the good that we do, if we are honest with ourselves, is often tinged with bad motivations, isn't it? to boost our egos, or to get an advantage of benefit to ourselves, to compare and to compete with others, to feel better about ourselves. Even our good can be tainted. But not only that, the good that we do isn't the good that God created for us to do. You see, true good, in God's definition, is only done when we are connected with our God, when we're connected with our good God. Out of relationship with God, any good that we do isn't the true good that we're created to do. And so we see, first and foremost, that sin leads to sins. There's a powerful explanation for why the world is the way it is. But it's also a very personal explanation, isn't it? And perhaps that, that's quite confronting for you at the moment. It sits heavy to know how personal sin is. Now, it's uh, bad news so far, and I'm sorry to say that it's going to get a bit worse, because there's another explanation for the Bi- that the Bible gives for why the way the world is the way it is. In Romans 3, you've, uh, the passage we just looked at speaks about the consequence of sin in terms of what we become, in terms of what we do, right? and that is bad news, but there's more and the news is worse. I want you to open your Bibles for this one to Romans 1, okay, Romans 1, verse 18 to 21. All give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Now in this passage we see that sin leads to judgment. Right? Sin leads to judgment. This is what God does in response to our sin. This is what God does in response to our sins. We see here in Romans 1 the same description of sin, don't we? Rejecting the God who is and clearly can be known. Through his creation. Right? Our creator can clearly be known through his creation, but sinful humanity chooses to ignore it and suppress it. And they choose and we choose not to give God the honor and the glory and the thanks that he deserves. And what is the consequence that we see here in chapter one? Whereas well, the confronting news that God's wrath, God's wrath, is being poured out against all who treat him in this way now it's easy to criticize God for being wrathful when we hear about the wrath and the anger of God a lot of people kind of arc up right, and say you know what kind of God right, is so prickly so mean spirited who rages unreasonably against his creation right? why is he so petty right? why does he fly off uh, his handle and, and rages against his poor little creatures right? it's easy to, to accuse God like that But that's not what God's wrath is at all. It is a just and righteous wrath, an anger and punishment that perfectly and justly fits the crime. Now, we need to understand that God is personal, right? He's not just up there, some high and mighty being that's as far removed. He is personal. He is personal and personally connected to all that He has created, especially us, who He has created in His image, now, God is called our heavenly father for a very good reason, right? Because he's personal. We are like his children. We are his children. There is a connection that is far deeper than we can ever imagine to be created by God, to belong to God as his children. And so, it is right that he should be personally impacted when we treat him the way that we do. Anger is the right response of parents to their very rebellious and disobedient children. Amen?
0: <laughs>
1: yes, all the parents say amen really loudly, right? It, we, because we love and we care. I, I don't get too angry with other people's kids. Rarely do I get angry with them. But my own kids, if they disobey me and they're rebellious, they're rejecting my efforts to raise them well, oh, anger is the right response for a loving parent. But not only does God take it personally and rightfully so, God also dishes out the appropriate and just punishment. Have a look at three verses pretty quickly. Verses 24, 26, and 28, right? This is what it says. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity. Verse 24. Verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. You see, God's punishment is the consequence of our sin. And what is this punishment? Well, it is to give us exactly what we want. It's just, isn't it? God gives us exactly what we want. In rejecting God and His ways, we desire the things that we shouldn't. Uh, We are passionate for the things that actually do harm to us. We are filled with all manner of thoughts, some of which are twisted and really terrible, some of which... Many of which bring harm to ourselves and to others, all of which shows little or no regard for God. And God's judgment is to give us over to all of these things that we want, that we lust after, that we're passionate and desirous for, that do us and other people damage. You want it? You want it so much that you'd reject me as your creator? And God says, fine, right, fine. I'll give it to you. I'll give you what you want. My punishment is to let you do as you wish, to let you feel the full weight of your own sins. That's good parenting, by the way, sometimes. Rather than always rescuing and preventing your children from the choices that they make, right, is to let them make those mistakes and help, help them see the consequences that they face because of it. Now, God does this on a cosmic scale, and it's fair, isn't it? It's fair. What accusation can we make against God for doing this? Now, the rest of the passage in Romans 1 spells out the consequence of God's judgment against sin. It's a life that is filled with sins, filled with impurity and pain, filled with a godlessness that leads to a life that is truly yuck, right, that's devoid of all the good things of life. Now, why do we live in a weary world? That's an opening question that we had, isn't it? Why do we live in a weary world that is so full of brokenness and pain? And the answer that the Bible gives is sin, right? Capital S, capital I, capital N, sin, the relational problem that we have with God, and because of sin's consequences uh, into the lives that we live. Sin has made us unfit for the purpose that God created for us to have. Sin has made us to become doers of evil rather than doers of good. Sin has resulted in God's wrath being poured out on us, receiving the just punishment of being given over uh, to all of the evil and and unhealthy and unhelpful and damaging consequences of our actions. That's what sin has done. And so this is the world that we live in. A sinful, sin-broken world, a weary world, a world crying out in pain, a world of people crying out, pining after relief and rest, restoration and renewal, redemption, a world crying out for a Savior. And it's to these cries that God responds in His love. He he calls out to us. Uh, He he responds to our cries and sends His Savior. At Christmas, we sing, and we're going to sing this later on, right? All holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining, till He appears and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. What would it take to save a world in sin and error? It would take a Savior who can deal with our sin and who can deal with all of sin's consequences. Now, let's read our final passage in Romans for this morning. Uh, Last time, turn your Bibles to Romans 5. We're going to look at verses 6 to 11. And this is where the good news is. This is where hope is to be found in this weary, sin-broken world. Romans 5, verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But... through whom we have now received reconciliation. Here, at just the right time, what did God do? When we needed it most, when we were beyond any human hope, what did God do? Well, God sent Jesus. Jesus Christ came and dealt with the problem of sin. And even though the problem of sin is of our causing, right, is what we have done, it's how we have treated God. It is us who have broken that relationship. It is God who initiates. It is God who acts. It is God who loves. It is God who sends His one and only Son to come and to die for sinners. Now, the death of Jesus really achieves some incredible things, right? Let me mention a few right, we see in this passage. We see that Jesus' death it's a death that is done in, for us, right? In our place. Jesus dies in our place. The just penalty for our sinful rejection of our life giver is to have our lives taken away, right? If we reject our life giver, then the just uh, uh, judgment is to have our lives taken away. Now, we will all die physically. Death is 100%. Uh, but not just physically. We will also face spiritual death and eternal separation from God. But when Jesus died, he gave his life as a sacrifice, as a substitute for those who would put their lives in his hands. And we see here also that Jesus dies to take take away uh, God's wrath from us, to save us from God's wrath. Since the Son has paid for our sin and has removed the guilt of our rebellion and rejection of God, has dealt with this problem, then the reason for God to be angry with us is gone because the Son has paid for our sin. On the cross, Jesus absorbed the wrath of God when he took our sins on himself so that those of us who trust in Jesus will not face the wrath of God. And thirdly, we see that Jesus dies to reconcile us to God. Now that God's anger and our sin has been dealt with, then we can stand before God again we can be reconciled to God as our Father. And we as His children, we can call on God as our Heavenly Father. Now, it is this new life of living with God again as our Father and with Jesus Christ as our Savior and King that brings about a transformation of our lives. If it was because this connection has been broken, that this world has become the way that it is, that our lives have become the way that it is. And if we are reconciled back to God, then we begin to experience the transformation of a new life. In Jesus, we start to find rest from our sin-caused weariness. At our deepest level, our pining for a right relationship with God has been answered and fulfilled because we are reconnected with our Creator. There is a a spiritual wholeness that is now ours to enjoy and have that we did not have before. And flowing out from this new identity and this new status of being the children of God, we are led to a new way of thinking as well, that we think different thoughts about ourselves and the people around us, about the world, our actions, a new way of being, a new way of living, a way of living that is truly life as we come to understand the ways of God. And the more that we are restored to the kind of people that we were created to be, the more of God's goodness and blessing we can bring to the world around us. We can be a force of transformation to, the, to, the, to our families and to our, uh, the places that we live and that we work and that we play. Into a weary world, we can be people who bring rest and restoration especially as we bring people back to God, as we bring people the news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, as we lead people to know their King and Savior, their Creator, Jesus. We can be experiencing rest now in increasing ways, and we can be those who bring rest to our weary world. But what of the bigger, broader, societal, global, and cosmic problems? Well, the Bible does speak of that too, though we don't have time to get into that today. But just as the Bible promised that a Savior would come to deal with sin, and that has come to be fulfilled when Jesus came, so also the Bible promises that the Savior will return to restore this world in the future, right, truly, totally, and completely. And so too, this will be fulfilled when Jesus returns. On that day, truly, this weary world, this sin broken world, will be made into paradise. And for this, we can be sure because the Creator has come into creation, because the Savior has given His life for us and has secured salvation. And so, I invite you all today, every one of us, right, to put our faith in Jesus. To put our faith in Jesus. Perhaps for the first time, or perhaps from the hundredth or the thousandth time, come to Jesus for salvation and rest. In Him, you will find rest now and forever. And so it is that we can experience that thrill of hope, a hope that will never disappoint, and we can rejoice with a great joy. Let me pray in light of that, and then let us sing, O Holy Night. Let me pray. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word, Your Word that exposes our heart, exposes our lives, and exposes what this world is really like that indeed this world is weary and broken because of sin, because of the way that we've treated you, the way that we've turned our backs on you, the way that we've chosen to live lives our own way without thought of you, without regard of you, without honor of you, without thanks of you, without any desire to live your way truly. This has been a hard word for some of us to hear, to know how personal sin is, an offense against you, but to also be able to see the damage that we experience in our own lives, how we've sin broken our own lives, how our sins have hurt the people around us, how our sins individually and corporately as humankind has broken this world, but it's understanding these things that we see our need for the Savior. And in knowing the gospel of Jesus Christ, we come to see that indeed you have answered our cries, our longings, our pining for a world to be restored and, and to find rest again, And you've answered that cry by sending your son into this world. We thank you for your great love for us. We thank you for the the sacrifice of Jesus that pays for our sin and it deals with the consequences of our sins. And so please, we pray, Father, help us to put our hope and trust in him. For in him we will have an indescribable hope and a great joy that we can rejoice in for the rest of our lives and into eternity. For this we pray in Jesus' most beautiful name.